0: Welcome back, everyone. This is The Changelog, where a member-supported blog, podcast, and weekly email comes fresh and what's new in open source. Check out the blog at thechangelog.com, our past shows at 5 x 5tv slash changelog. And you're listening to episode 125. I talk with Parker Moore about all things Jekyll and how he got started in open source. Today's show is sponsored by Rackspace, SnapCI, and TopTile. We'll tell you a bit more about TopTile and SnapCI later in the show, but our friends at Rackspace continue to dedicate themselves to support the open source and developer community with their developer discount. And now you can go make something awesome on them. You're the makers. Each day you get up thinking about new, awesome, amazing stuff, and they just want to give back and help you put your imagination and skills to work. And Rackspace wants to give you something special just to say thank you. Sign up today for their developer discount and get $300. $300. $300 and free cloud services on your Rackspace cloud account. This discount applies to new products like their performance cloud service, as well as their cloud queues. And you're even eligible for early access to new features and products they roll out. So make something awesome. Get started today, developer.rackspace.com slash dev trial. And now onto the show. We're joined today by Parker Moore. He's uh, Parker. You're a developer. You're doing all sorts of cool stuff. You're 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 young. You're still going to school. You're interning at GitHub. You have a pretty fantastic story. So, um, you know, I wanted to have you on the show because I've been a fan of what you've been doing with Jekyll. So, I wanted to kind of hear from the horse's mouth, so to speak, about who this man is and what y'all are, what you're doing um, in open source and what you're doing for uh, for coding and stuff like that. So, let's uh let's kick off the show by, I guess, the easiest way possible, maybe to give the listeners a peek into who you are. So when you introduce yourself to a crowd of people, how do you do it?
1: Um, well, I guess I've never had to introduce myself to a crowd of people of uh, a technology or a high technology background, um, so, but I'll give it a shot. Um, as you said, I'm Parker. Um, I'm a student at Cornell university. Um, about to graduate um, in August with a degree in information science. Um, I've been programming for a really long time since maybe seventh grade and have loved it. I found Ruby, um, in maybe 2011 and have loved it ever since. It's a, a fantastic language. I have a lot of fun. Um, and in 2012, I found myself, um, conversing with Tom Preston werner and, um, I asked to take over the project Jekyll and the rest is sort of history.
0: Yeah, that's, that is, a. Uh... I want to tell that history as best we can. So let's, let's maybe rewind a little further back in the day. Then. So you said you've been programming for a while. Um, how early?
1: Seventh grade is when I started. Um, my math teacher in seventh grade, uh, with whom I spent a lot of time, because that was the year that I wanted to get ahead in math. And so I was taking two math courses simultaneously. Um, I forget what they were, but like geometry, prob- you know, uh, probability, that sort of thing. Um, and then also moving up to sort of more of the pre-calculus stuff. So um, I was spending a lot of time with this, this math teacher, um, and he was a, a huge Mac geek, uh, mm-hmm. and he had a bunch of Apple IIEs in his, in his room, as well as a couple old Macintoshes, um, mm-hmm. and this was right before the Mac G5 came out. So this is, you know, when is this actually? 2003, thousand I'm
0: guessing based on math, around 2000
1: well i'm twenty one now and I'm just graduating from college and I remember that September eleventh attacks were in fourth grade so it was three years after that okay so I think it was um, I think it was closer to two thousand four uh, but anyway year is not not that important <laughs> um, so I learned how to program in basic um, with a group of friends we would take our lunch period and we would go to go to this teacher's room mr. Martin his room and we would all leap onto a, a Apple to eat. And we would program for the entire period if we weren't watching Monty Python or whatever. Um, so we had a grand old time and I learned a lot of the the basics of, of procedural programming. Um, in basic, if you don't know, you have to give every line that you, you type of code has its own line number. So you type one and that's your first line and then you, you know, print high or something and then 10, uh, or two, you could say two if you wanted to, um, you know, get variable or something. So um, I learned a lot about how to think like a computer and sort of the basis of my computer, computer science knowledge comes from that, that time in lunch, in lunch period. Um, and I didn't actually start any formal computer science um, lessons or any formal computer science until 10th grade when I took um, CS1 and 2 at my high school. Um, and we learned Java with Carol the Robot <laughs> um, we would program to, to go around a grid and collect like buttons or something. Um, so it, it, it was an amazing experience. Um, and I ended up doing um, advanced placement in computer science my senior year in high school. Um, and I sort of diverged a little bit in college. I went to McGill University for my first year and studied linguistics and philosophy um, with, an, with an, a hint of political science. Um, and then transferred to Cornell and decided, you know, computers are amazing. Let's study them. Let's study the so- sociological, the psychological, the economic impact of of information and the information technologies that we have available to us. Um, and so that's sort of what I've been doing since I transferred to Cornell.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's quite a history, man. I mean, I'm, I'm not really even sure what to dive deeper into, except for, you know. I guess uh, Java is one maybe sort of somewhat fun thing to, to begin learning with, but maybe also just as hard and not so encouraging. Um, but then at the same time, you're kind of where you're at now. Um, you know, you're contributing heavily to open source. You look at your, your punch card on, on your GitHub profile, and it's just like it's straight up green. So um, I don't even know how you actually do it and do school and do a lot of the stuff you do you say, in your free time, you help maintain Jekyll. I'm not sure if your free time is all the time or what, but maybe <laughs> we can clear that up. So,
1: Well, so I will say, um, I can give GitHub a little bit of credit. Um, they, they will mark a box green, even if you only have one commit or you open one issue. So, you know, my minimum on, in terms of the GitHub, uh, punch card is, is one thing a day, one contribution a day. Right. So that's not, you know, not too substantial. Um, but it, you know, certainly that punch card keeps me active and keeps me busy and keeps me, motiv- me motivated, which is an interesting um, element of that particular feature. Um, but I got into open source in 2010. Um, do you remember the iPhone tracker?
0: Um, which tracker?
1: Um, I forget exactly what it, what it did specifically. I, it, it would track you, track where you were, um, a, an app that you could install on your phone. It would track where you were. Um, and send that information to a server. And there was some element of, of subversion within this, like there was some subversive element to this app, such that you didn't necessarily know that you were being tracked. Ah. Um, maybe it was based on Wi-Fi address or something like that. So the um, it was in a news story, maybe in the New York Times that I was reading often. Um, and so I found GitHub because the source code for this particular app was on GitHub. And my very first... Pull request was a pull request to this Objective C app. I'd never touched Objective C in my whole life, um, but there was a problem with um, with closing. I forget exactly what it was, but with with closing down a piece of the app um, when the app was was when the user went back to the home screen or switched to a different app. Um, so that was my very first pull request in Objective C, um, and, and that was, I guess, the my very first pull request being in the fall of 2010, right after I had started at McGill. And I was just getting into a friend of mine, um, well, an acquaintance rather, um, from Rochester, where I'm from. Um, it works at Apple now and was a huge buff. He, used, he was part of the, uh, the team that made Cloud, the Cloud app. Mm, okay. um, Nick Paulson, he's sort of been one of my like, programming heroes um, over the last several years in that he is just like a prodigy, um, e- exceptional at what he does. Um, so I sort of got to know him a little bit through a mutual friend and got to know his work and was interested in Mac and and iPhone programming, thought, you know, this will be great. But then was a little bit worried because it was so tied to, to particular products. It wasn't something that I could run anywhere. It was, if the iPhone doesn't exist, then my job doesn't exist. So I sort of moved away from that. Right. All right. Um, but yeah, so I, I found open source through this iPhone tracker project and in a way got hooked. I would keep going back to GitHub more and more as time went by. Um, and the summer before my junior year, which was I guess the summer of 2012, I worked for um several companies, but I worked for Cornell in the um, College of Agriculture and Life Sciences Communications Department. Not the academic department, but in the sort of college communications department. And we were rebuilding our site and I'd used Jekyll a little bit, heard about it and said, why don't we use Jekyll for this site? It'll be great. It's all of the, uh, the information that they needed or, every, you know, the requirements for the site, um, the cals.cornell.edu, which is still running Jekyll at the moment. Um, all of the requirements were, were perfect. They, they fit the bill perfectly for a static site generator. So I was like, let's use Jekyll and we used Jekyll and it was kind of painful um, and I was writing a lot of plugins and, and hacking around, um, and going through the source code and sort of learned the ins and outs of how Jekyll worked through that experience. And also the annoyance, um, of there were string encoding errors and, you know, the file system watcher was, uh, directory watcher was still really old. And so, so there was a lot to be done and I re- recognized this. Um, and in December, I said, you know, I really like this project and I really want to see it succeed. And so I emailed Tom Preston Werner um, and he eventually got back to me around Christmas time and was like, let's Skype. And so we had chatted on Skype and um, he was like, all right, I'm going to give you uh, contributor access to the repo. Um, you seem to know what you're doing. Um, just don't merge any pull requests. Don't change anything in master yet. Great. So like, just go through the issues. And so I spent my entire winter break going through the issues on Majumbo Jekyll um, and went through like 300 or 400 in the first week, um, just sort of going through and closing the ones that were, um, that we, you know, had to close because they were past done or um, it was a quick fix or whatever. And, um, and actually one day, so I was in Rochester for that time and um, Nick Coronto um, Q rush crush yeah. um, on Twitter and, and GitHub um, was also a contributor to to Jekyll. He had access from you know from early on, um, and he's in Buffalo. So, and Buffalo is only about an hour away drive from Rochester. So I went one night to a Buffalo open hack night, um, and he and I hacked on on Jekyll, um, which was awesome. And we closed a lot of issues as a result of that that one night. So just sort of got more and more involved and, and became more and more obsessed with this product um and the potential of static sites. Um and sort of continued on. And I went in January, late January of, of twenty thirteen, I decided to take a semester off from school altogether, and went to go work for um Sex Wunderkinder in Berlin. They make Wonderlist. Right. And um and I loved Wonderlist and I love the people that were that worked there. Um so I was like, hey you know, is there a possibility that I could intern with you? And they interviewed me and they were like, you should come intern. Um, and so <laughs> of and course, so did, yes, <laughs> we'll <what> have you. <laughs> and so I, I went to go intern um, and learned a lot there, um, which, you know, which was an, it was an absolutely amazing experience. Uh, so were you actually so in many. Germany
0: or you just, did you intern from here in the States?
1: I was, I was actually living in Berlin. I lived on Chelsea's uh, just off of, no, on Chelsea's Straße, um, right there in, in Mitte. Wow so so I, I had a lot of free time because in college i didn't I, I don't have a lot of free time when I'm in classes, um, but I have a lot of free time when I'm working nine to five so which is surprising to me um, so i was I was you know hacking on Jekyll more and more, and we released 1.0 by may
0: and so this is what about I guess May of twenty thirteen right
1: yep. Just about
0: a year ago. So you, you've kind of had this pattern of impressing people and getting the right connections, I, I guess, pretty much early on, and then using that as as a way to bootstrap your skill set and bootstrap your abilities and kind of get in the right places. So how much, I guess, maybe to rewind maybe a tiny bit, how much do you know about the earlier days of, of Jekyll and kind of where it came from and its philosophy? And then I guess now, uh, as of this past May, which would be one year since one basically, right? So you got two oh that yeah. just came out.
1: Yep. Yeah. So I, I don't actually know very much about the early days. I know it used to be called Auto Blog, um, so it was originally very focused on blogging um, and originally very um, more blog centric than than blog aware as it as it now states. Right. Um, I'm not sure what what Tom's original wishes for it were. I think he just wanted to write a static blog and didn't like any of the products that were available. And (laughs) so he wrote it, um, along with, along with Nick. So I'm not really sure about the early days, but the philosophy was, was in the README, um, a blog aware and, and in the, um, GitHub description as well, a blog aware static site generator. So I sort of took that and based on the issues and how people were using it, um, molded it into something that I thought people would like.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit then, because, um, I, it almost seems like you're you you've said a couple of times a product uh, you kind of act even i would you probably would agree with this, but um like a product manager like you listen to the crowd or you kind of um you know you go through the like you'd mentioned you know earlier in the in your history with with Jekyll that you kind of went through several hundred issues in a weekend to kind of get a heartbeat of where it's at. what kind of um, a telltale signs I guess did you use? that are inherent in issues with Jekyll that helped you understand where it was coming from or where it needed to go to be successful for the people that were using it?
1: That's a really awesome question. I think um, when I was going through the issues, the biggest, of course, uh, indicator of of a problem or a feature that should be implemented is the sheer number of comments on the um, on the issue. If there's an issue like for right now, there's an issue that stands open um, for incremental regeneration. Uh, basically, taking a site that's already been built, um, understanding the current state, and then only only changing or rebuilding the pieces that need to be rebuilt, which is a, a you know an NP hard problem. Yeah,
0: it's probably a huge saving too for the the disk you're on, and just in general, just the speed.
1: Exactly, exactly. It would be a huge win. Um, and there are a lot of people who've said this would be amazing. This would be amazing. And of course, I mean, you know, we've just both agreed it would be an amazing feature. Um, The, as I was going through the, you know, several hundred issues, I think there were like 623 or something, uh, open issues when I took, when I came onto the project, um, as I was going through them, depending upon the number of comments and the sort of logic of each argument, um, I sort of weighed them in a certain way. Um, if there was a, and, and sort of got to know how people were using it based on their comments in the issues, and the, you know, occasional site that I would come across um, on some repository on GitHub. Um, and as that, as I sort of got to know a little bit more about how people were using the product, um, I said, you know, this, we, we should support this or, or this is not really how we envision this product to be used, but maybe we can make a, a compromise and just make it easily extensible so they can build it on their server without having to do all this crazy monkey patching, et cetera. Um, and so sort of weighing what are Jekyll's, Primary objectives based on what was in the readme, versus how are people using it, versus how do people want to be using it? What is the best sort of middle ground between those three elements? Um, and I've, I've that that took a lot of thought. And when you first take over a project or first enter into a project like Jekyll that has been around for five years um, and is is relatively su- successful, um, it. It took me probably six months to figure out exactly what what the trajectory for this project should be.
0: I'd imagine even your your methodology had to be pretty methodical too to kind of go through comments and I mean maybe you're weighing them based on is there a code sample you know how passionate is this person is it you know is this person commenting on several other issues as well or kicking up issues. Um, I gotta imagine that was a pretty tough job to triage. And like you said, six months to even get a heartbeat. That's, that's a lot.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's, it, part of it is because there are so many people using it and, and as well, it was still being used on GitHub pages. So I sort of had to weigh in, well, how would this change GitHub pages? Is this still secure for GitHub pages? Um, and one of the things that Tom said to me during our initial chat was, um, basically like instill the fear in me of change, which is very interesting. Um, that said, Jekyll is, is good as it is. It is good at, at present. It's good. Um, it can be great, but it shouldn't be. But the, the, the way to get to greatness is not through completely rewriting everything that you have. Um, basically to say, add on to what you have, change the things that absolutely must be changed, um, but don't, don't go too crazy, basically. Um, so in terms of accepting pull requests, that made me very skeptical. Um, originally, I was like, "Oh, you want this feature? Let's you know, let's merge it in. It'll be great." But as long as the CI passed, um, but as after time, after some amount of time, even the the general idea, not even just the code, I would scrutinize um, significantly. Is this something that is useful to the majority of Jekyll users, for example? Is this something that is safe to run on on GitHub Pages? Is this something, et cetera, et cetera? So. Um, it, it has taken a long time, but, but yeah, it's, it's been, I think that's a really key part to, to taking over a project and to, to making something cool.
0: So what, um, I, I guess maybe playing off of, if I'm tracking with you, uh, early on Tom said, you know, Hey, you know, kind of to the line, so to speak, you know, when you first right. took over, how is that, how is that contrast against how you are now with the project and what changed?
1: So when we, when I initially took over, Tom was still very much present, um, you know, quote unquote. So I could, I had a tag on, on the issues that was at my jumbo. And I would email him if that got too high, maybe 35 issues or something like that. And it just needed a decision by him. It just needed, you know, Hey, what do you think about this? Um, is this a good idea, a bad idea? So I sort of, at the beginning was was really chatting with him a lot, um, as much as possible, and getting his idea about what the product and where it should go. And as it contrasts to now, I have complete control. Um, I can't imagine so I have complete control in the literal sense in that I can change anything, but uh, there's still some philosophical constraints, of course in that I want it to be something that people like to use, et cetera, um, and something that that continues on with the tradition of what Jekyll has been. Um, if you take a product and you completely modify what it's like, completely change everything, then it's no longer the same thing. So existing Jekyll sites, for example, I don't want someone to write a site and then for it to immediately break. Um, we've, With the 2.0 release, we did our best to... To maximize the number of backwards compatible changes, um, I think there was like maybe one backwards incompatible change, and it was we still had a way to to work around it. So, and yeah, not to mention so, yeah.
0: too, you also had GitHub as as a uh, I guess a uh, a customer so to speak, um, right? Because they're using it for Pages, and they obviously have a trajectory where they're taking uh, Pages and what they're doing with it. Not it's obviously. Uh, a large part of the open source ecosystem where people host their docs on there or they host their, you know, single page kind of here's my repo kind of thing, or even just simple sites. So It was a part of what GitHub was doing. So how did, uh, I guess maybe to break the seal on this, so right now you're an intern also at GitHub. So that, that kind of had to blossom into even new opportunities for you. Can you, can you talk a little about that?
1: Yeah. So, so, um, my my exact title is as is a GitHub Pages contractor and so i as a contractor am um, am working on GitHub Pages and trying to make it a, an even better platform um some of the changes that we've released like the site.github namespace um there've been there's been a complete rewrite behind the scenes in the back since i've i've joined the team um and basically what that's done is allowed me to gain new insights into how Jekyll's being used um, in particular I'm working with Ben Balter who's an amazing guy um, really brilliant um, he re- he graduated from law school um, was a WordPress core contributor um, was a, a White House presidential um, innovation fellow is just a, a crazy cool guy um, and he's sort of been my mentor on that project um, the guy watching over me making sure I don't mess up too many things and uh, and and because he's focused on government i've gotten a huge uh, i've I've gleaned a new or gained a huge appreciation in how um, how Jekyll is being used on on the massive scale or larger scale um, so if you're if you're a government institution that wants to publish data how can how are they using Jekyll to publish data for example um, they're using WordPress and Jekyll in many many occasions to publish open data to, um, publish process. Um, project open data is a, a, Jekyll site. Um, and they're using that to write policy around open data. If you're, you know, the city of Chicago, how should your, how should your data be released? And what are the, what are the guidelines surrounding that, that entire th- project that, um, every, everything within that, all the content is written, um, written as a Jekyll site.
0: That's funny that you mentioned, um, uh... Uh, Ben, because, you know, also just being a core contributor to WordPress, uh, you know, for those who know about Jekyll, or maybe this is, you're a listener, this is the first time you're hearing about it, I don't know where you've been, but um, Hmm. WordPress and Jekyll tend to fall into the same conversation because it tends to be a fork, a choice of left or right, Jekyll or WordPress. And, you know, a lot of the reasons why developers like it is one, because it's just, developer-centric, I think, far more than maybe WordPress is, but not in a bad way. Uh, WordPress is kind of designed and delivered as a product for different types of people and different types of developers, but, you know, the separation of the database and stuff like that. So does, does Ben get involved with the product? Is he involved with Jekyll now, or is he just kind of an advisor to you?
1: He's he's definitely involved in the product. Um, not as much as, as I am, you know, he's not, he's not around day to day, but when I have sweeping questions or large questions that would have sweeping effects on the product, I tend to I tend to run them by him. Um, he actually was kind enough to invite me out to San Francisco um, or out to the GitHub headquarters. I was interning for a visual supply company at the time, out to the GitHub headquarters one Saturday to sort of host a Jekyll Nano Summit. Uh, there's a GitHub issue with all of the on Jekyll Jekyll with all of the details of that summit. Um, and we sat in the Situation Room in the GitHub office um, and it was Ben and me and Mislav, um, who's a great guy. And Tom came for about an hour, um, and, or an hour and a half. And then, um, Garen, um, as well, GJ Tarikian, I think, um, I'm not sure about your name. Sorry, Garen, uh, your last name rather. Um, and so we sat around and Matt, Matt uh, Rogers, of course, my co-maintainer, um, he was in, he wasn't able to, to come physically, but, but he was, he was beamed in. Via Blue Jeans, um, and so we we sort of chatted about the the future of Jekyll, what we wanted for 2.0, what we wanted for 3.0, sort of what the future would be. Um, so Ben has been a significant advisor um, and has has sort of opened up or suggested things like a nano summit where we would all meet and chat about it, you know, in in meet space um, that I would never have thought to do. Um, so he and you know he. Scheduled all of that, he flew out from DC um, to get to San Francisco just for this, um, and it was a it was a really cool experience. So he's been he's been an advisor, a serious, very serious advisor of this project, um, partly because I think he sees the potential of static site generators and the because Jekyll's already on GitHub Pages, the amazing potential for um, open data for um, open source websites in general, um, the bootstrap website. The Ratchet websites are both open source and on GitHub pages. Um, and so, and the, you know, it's an alternative to, to WordPress in many ways because it is very content focused, though. It's less focused about how does my theme look? Um, it's more focused on what are the words that I'm putting out there to, for the world to see. Um, it, he's sort of been an evangelist in many ways of Jekyll um, and a, a wonderful supporter of it.
0: Let's pause the show for a minute and give a shout out to our sponsor, Snap. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery service that goes far beyond letting you do continuous deployment. Don't waste your time and set up your own CI box under your desk. Use Snap. Snap has first class support for deployment pipelines. With Snap, you can push any healthy build to multiple environments automatically or on demand. This means with Snap, you could do things like deploy to your staging environment today, verify it works, and later deploy the exact same build. To production, Snap integrates deep with GitHub, has great support for lots of languages, databases, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like DigitalOcean, Heroku, OpenShift, AWS, and many more. You can also use Snap to push your Ruby gem to Ruby gems. And Snap is always free for open source projects. Try Snap for free for 30 days today. Sign up at snapcicom changelog I never really thought about the, I mean, I, I guess it's it seems kind of obvious and logical, but I never really thought about the impact to increase the level of open source, whether it's code, content, or whatnot, that Jekyll's actually had the impact of. I always kind of, I guess I really just never thought about it like that, because I mean, uh, we, we covered <laughs> Chicago's open data about a year ago when they first started to publish a lot of their... Open data and whatnot, and they're leading the mm-hmm. way in a lot of ways for local governments to do that kind of stuff. And then mm-hmm. what you mentioned too about just documentation and then uh, Twitter Bootstrap and other sites that are kind of put out there and they're open, right? Like even right. even your site, your your blog is open on GitHub. It's you know it's it's kind of like it just seems like a natural thing, and it only helps uh, bootstrap and bolster this open open source ecosystem we all kind of desire to be in.
1: Exactly. And one of the main tenets of, of Jekyll, um, has always been to, to as much as possible and, and get a helps with this tremendously as much as possible, open source your website. Um, yeah. let, let other people learn from it. There's a great uh, page on the wiki, the Jekyll wiki called sites. And it, it, we have this one, one rule. You post the link to your site, but you must post the source. For your site as well. So if your sor- if your site isn't open source, it can't be on the sites page. And there are something like a thousand, almost a thousand um, sites with their sources linked directly next to the to where the page is. So if you go to see a site that you really like, then the source is right there for you to look at. Um, so it's a great learning lear- learning tool. And anyone who has a site, anyone who has a GitHub account, can edit it. So it's it, the the Jekyll community has been hugely, uh, a huge proponent, I guess, of open source and making sure that they can learn from each other the way that open source champions.
0: Before we, uh, I guess, before we turn away from, I guess, maybe newer topics, more topics, <laughs> uh, I want to ask you a, a bit more detail, if you can share it about the conversation that Ben had with you when he kind of enlightened you about the overarching ecosystem of Jekyll. Like what was that conversation? What were some of the things he kind of fed you to help you really get the aha moment and, and kind of be able to tackle what you've done?
1: The, so it's been sort of an ongoing conversation. It's, it's, you know, comments here and there in, in the GitHub pages, repo and on Jekyll, um, as well as at that nano summit. But the, the overarching or sort of the aha moment that I had was when, when, When Ben said two things, two things that I really, I really cared about. One was, um, be the pull request that you want to see in the world, which is really cliche, but really awesome. And goes along with the, um, let's make Jekyll the coolest thing that, that it can be not because we want it, but because everyone wants it. Um, and, and because everyone can contribute to it if they, if they wish. Um, and the second thing is make it as simple as possible, absorb complexity as much as possible. That is that is the way to a good product. Um, and that I've sort of, you know, in GitHub itself, um, the organization and all of its employees champion that, that concept. If you're not, if you don't make your, your user interface simple, if you don't make the process simple, then people aren't going to use it. People aren't going to do, do what you're asking them to do. So, um, he's really molded this product into something that is as simple as possible. Um, and that's, you know, sort of where it's been an ongoing conversation, but, um, sort of where we get that 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 heightened sense of, of simplicity from.
0: I guess since uh, this might be a, a good time to talk about, um, you know, I guess earlier, um, I'm, I almost forget which month it is sometimes, but I guess it's earlier this month because it's it's the the last day of the month. We're recording on May thirtieth, by the way, because um, ah. the show doesn't always come out the same day we we actually record it. But earlier yeah. this month, um, you released. Um, Jekyll 2.0, but, you know, kind of flipping that on its head, last year you were releasing 1.0, a lot's changed, uh, you got a lot of newfound vision because of this history and, and and all that. What is What are some of the core things that change from Jekyll 1.0 to Jekyll 2.0, and then also, I guess, to maybe make sure that the those who have been using Jekyll for the last five years
1: don't have breaking sites? Right. So... To answer the first half of the question, what has changed? Um, we introduced a lot of things that, that a lot of co- new concepts and a lot of um, support for technologies that, that people were using. So the two main concepts that I really enjoyed working on and really enjoyed uh, releasing, I was really excited to release, were um, collections and uh, YAML front matter defaults. Um, so collections allow you to define uh, a series of documents um, all collected into one, one entity as it were. Um, so one of the reasons, or the reason that we originally wrote this, um, this feature was actually because during the Jekyll nano summit, Mislav said, I'm writing for Zepto, the API documentation. I want to have one page per document or rather one page per method in the, or function in the API. And I don't want to have to mangle Jekyll, you know, monkey patched up the wazoo in order to actually write write out individual pages for um for my um uh excuse me for for the api and i don't want to y- mixing up the pages um, or posts, then I don't want to use posts for it, et cetera, et cetera. So he wanted a lot more customization. Um, he wanted to be able to take the take the the documents and in, um, import them into collection or into pages as well, so include them um, and write them out. So he needed them to be to some insurance to make sure that they were processed beforehand, et cetera. He wanted them to be to be custom. Um, he didn't want to necessarily have to have them write out as a file. Um, so collections natively, or in the base, most basic sense, um, you have a series of documents um, that contain data, YAML front matter, um, and content, and that's it. Um, you can optionally set up um, each individual document to have an output file. Um, that just goes into forward slash collection name, forward slash document name, um, and that will output an individual file if you want that. Um, but the idea is is sort of data um, plus content mixed together in a nice way that isn't 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 just YAML.
0: Can you give an um, example of it? Is it? I'm thinking, uh, is it like if I were publishing a podcast, so to speak, would it be like a podcast? Is that what you mean? Where it acts like a page or acts like a post does by normal traits, but you kind of give it its own namespace and it's its own kind of model, so to speak.
1: Right. So you, you use collections for anything that isn't necessarily date sensitive, although you can use dates and collections if you want to. Um, with, when we were first setting up the jekyll site for example we had each docs docs page set up in as a post it was just like 20100101 here's my post uh or here's my docs page and we set it up as a post because we wanted to make sure it was processed before the pages write them out into pages etc um and have an individual an individual html file generated for each docs page as well so when we were doing that it it was creating a, a collection of items, but in the only, only collection that we had, which was posts. Um, you can think of posts as a date-centric collection okay. um, of, of documents, and each document is called a post in that case. Um, so what we wanted to do is take that idea and generalize it, not make it so date-centric. People were kept asking, hey, can we remove the dates from our posts? Of course, in a, in, in a blog, you every post ha- should have a date. Um, that's the point of a blog. It's it's a, a chronologically ordered um, series of content. So we said, well, if we're not going to take dates out of out of posts, let's you know create some more generalized concept um, that's based on posts but um, allows you to um, to collect various items um, and write them out to to individual files or just just have that data. Um, so an example is if we were to rewrite, if Jekyll 2.0 were up on GitHub pages, um, I would take the, all the docs pages that we have for Jekyll at the moment in site docs, and I would move them into a collection called docs. They would probably exist the same way that they do right now, but they would exist within this site.docs collection. This would allow me to iterate over them. If, if there were maybe two pages that I wanted to have on the same output page. So two or two documents that I want to have this on the same page, or if I wanted to list all the pages in like a site map, um, then I don't have to say, okay, site.pages, like four, po- four page and site.pages in Liquid. Um, and then I explicitly remove all of the CSS pages or the, you know, index.html pages that aren't docs. I have this one subset of the site in this underscore docs folder that I can, I can iterate over that. I can output that I can, et cetera, um, as its own entity. So I guess you can think of collections as a subset of the content of a, of a site hmm. in a way.
0: And this is just I one th- of the many changes. And also, I guess it's probably smart to drop a caveat in there that, uh, the collections is kind of unstable. It's in, it's, it's out there, but it's not finalized. It may change.
1: Right. Right. Um, and the other thing that we that we did, or the other major major feature, was YAML front matter defaults. So if you kept writing that you wanted the layout to be article or layout to be post um, in all of your posts or all of your pages in a specific uh, subdirectory, now all that you have to do is add a few lines to your your configuration file, and you have layout post set for all of the. Posts or pages that you specify. Um, right now, YAML formatter defaults don't work with collections, which is a bummer. Um, but we're we're working on getting it for the 2.1 release, which should, should happen soon.
0: So I'm trying to think of where we can go. Where we can go next? I know I got uh, a couple of things on my my list that I want to mention, but um, I guess. Maybe I don't exactly struggle to, to really. I, mean, I guess maybe to some degree I do. But you know, what's the sweet spot for Jekyll? You mentioned earlier with Cornell working there and how you had this list of requirements and Jekyll was perfect. But that was way back, you know, several years ago. Uh, at least it seems to be. Um, you know, what is the sweet spot for Jekyll? I know you, we talked a little bit about documentation, but for those who are listening out there that aren't using Jekyll, what would make them want to use it? And why should they use Jekyll? Like it's not a CMS. It's not a blog. It's evolved.
1: Right, right. I would say for two for two reasons, I always stick with Jekyll. Uh, the first reason is that I can use Git. I can use my lovely version control system um, to version my content, not just the theme or whatever that I have, um, but I can version my content, which is amazing. I can submit a pull request for my content Um And that's, that's hugely powerful. Um, the second reason I'd say is because it's a static site generator and this is true of any static site generator. Um, the sweet spot is really in page load time. Um, there have been a couple people who run, um, Jekyll sites on their own servers, maybe like a T1 small or something, um, on, on AWS and they never, their server never goes down. Whereas, if you have WordPress, you run into problems with memory or you run into problems with the database load being too high and so your database just cancels connections um, or you can't connect to it when the when someone loads your site. So by stripping all of this out and just having an HTML file that Nginx or Apache says, oh, here's your static file, Here, you, like, here's the content that you need, amazing, um, it, it reduces any problems you would have with scalability to um, a ridiculous degree.
0: So I, I know I'm kind of hopping uh, on one of those things you mentioned there because the changelog is actually a WordPress site and we're on DigitalOcean. We have a, a pretty beefy server at DigitalOcean, so we like it. I mean, it's it's great. But for a bit there, we had issues with our site toppling over and getting database connect, uh, connection issues because basically MySQL would uh, you know bubble up to the point where it would take all the memory and then Apache couldn't run anymore, so it couldn't connect to MySQL or, or something to that degree. It was just a mess and essentially we kind of did uh essentially what I would probably consider a reversal right we kind of did what would eventually just become cached files right But you know we used uh wp cache to to cache all of our files which essentially is exactly what jekyll helps you produce in the first place which is a static site you essentially take this right. dynamic site and make it static based on <laughs> cache times and you know um timestamps and stuff like that so it's you know, that's the one that I can actually really kick myself in the butt for, but at the same time, I love a lot of what WordPress gives. But you know, I never really um, moved over to Jekyll because of like multi-author support and stuff like that. What do you say to people when they talk about multi-authoring and just, I guess, publishing tools that make the job a little easier?
1: So one thing that I've I followed intensely and actually that I think Ben originally told me about was pros and i'm sure you've heard of this uh but pros is sort of the the silver bullet um or is intended to be at least the silver bullet um publisher for jekyll sites online i've seen this yeah Um, you you connect to your your github account you go to a um, repository that you have a site and you make edits and you commit them and it's great um, unfortunately, sort of development on pros has slowed down significantly as it's not being used as much by the development seed team. Um, these these amazing guys down in um, down in DC were the, were the ones who originally created it. I think they were the ones who originally created the landing page for health, healthcare.gov using Jekyll. Um, and so they've created what they a replacement, basically for this for the authoring tools that that WordPress gives you. So one of the things that I've always loved about WordPress is that it's super simple to go in and make a change. And then, you know, you click, you hit save, it puts it in the database and you're done. Um, what Prose aims to do is is emulate that process, but for Jekyll sites using version control. Um, so when you, instead of hitting save, you hit commit. Um, instead of, of, you know, going to a specific, instead of going to your site slash WP dash admin, you go to pros.io slash, you know, your your site. Uh, repo slash the path, and then you edit it, commit it, and you're done.
0: You said it's is it uh, slowing down on development right now? Is that what you said?
1: At, at the moment, it's it's not really it's under active development, but it's it's a little bit slow at the moment, um, and that's just because it's it, there's no immediate pressure. Um, if there's anyone who's really interested in in um, you know having it continue can, continue to uh, to be developed um, and to to see it grow. I'm sure that the development seed guys would be interested in, in hearing from you. Um, it's all in JavaScript and it all runs on GitHub pages with the exception of something called Gatekeeper, which is the um, Heroku app that does all of the OAuth with GitHub.
0: Hmm. We'll have to either get them on the show or, or uh, find a way to, I guess, put some light on that. I mean, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's, it's under development, but maybe they're just, are they just not feeling like, oh, it's really needed because it's right. not being used by a lot of people, is that the is that the concern now?
1: It's being used by by a pretty good chunk of people, but it's it's because it doesn't. They they originally developed it so that they could write healthcare.gov right. in a way. You know, the majority of healthcare.gov, the content based uh, piece of, of healthcare.gov, the things that don't need to be dynamic, basically, the marketplace, for example, would have to be dynamic, but um, you know, just you know FAQs and that sort of thing don't have to be dynamic. So they originally wrote it so that anyone. Um, could, could have this wonderful interface for changing files. Um, and so people aren't using it as much and the development is slow because they aren't using it anymore.
0: Yeah, I feel like, I almost feel like there's, I know you're in school and you've got a busy life and maybe this isn't, you know, the only thing you wanted to do in your development uh, career, but I, I kind <laughs> of feel like maybe you might inherit uh, not so much another project, but at least kind of bring that into the fold, so to speak, because it's so closely aligned with, Um, you know, this publishing way for Jekyll that makes it a little easier because one of the concerns that I think we tend to have is it's okay for us as developers to, like, you know, use Git and push via the command line. We're we're very comfortable with those kinds of things, but it's when we start to invite Mm. our business analysts and other people that are not always so fluent with it who may just want to go in, make the change, like you said, and and click save. They want that experience. They don't want to, you know have a certain Ruby installed or, you know, right. do I use RVM? Should I use, how do I version my, you know, how should I use my Ruby? And then you start to bring all these questions into somebody like, forget it. Uh, can we just use right. WordPress? Uh, WordPress works. <laughs> or, you know, that might be an example of the conversation you might have. So I don't feel like there's an opportunity here maybe to, to to bring that into the fold and make it part of your, your, uh, your work with Jekyll and, and GitHub pages.
1: Absolutely, um, and I, you know, we need a couple, a couple more things. For example, previews um, for a pull request. I've always wanted for GitHub Pages to build pull requests. If you can build a pull request, then you can see the resulting site um, on GitHub servers immediately. You don't have to wait, um, or you don't have to clone it down and deal with Ruby installation. Um, one of the pain points for Jekyll is definitely installing Ruby. Um, it's it's not supported technically on Windows, but it is um you know it's not too hard to get it up and running um but it's still a bit difficult so there are a couple more elements that i have to come into come into uh into the fold here but once those are in place um if they do come to fruition then um then it would it would be a pretty easy easy fix i think pros is trying to take the intimidating um, somewhat intimidating interface that, that GitHub has with issues and discussions and all of this business, um, and make it as simple as possible and as friendly as possible. Um, so they, and, and because it's Jekyll specific, they make ready and front matter, for example, um, a piece of cake. So they just have individual form items that you can specify. So your date should be a date and your title should always be, um, you know, they give you a text box for your title and a drop down for your layouts and all of that stuff. So, um, so, you know, there are just a couple more pieces and then, and then I think we can make a bit, we can make the switch.
0: So a mutual, uh, I guess a mutual friend of ours had uh, two questions, I guess. One of you, you've kind of mostly answered, but if there's anything that maybe you left out that you want to mention, you're welcome to. But so to the questions, Brandon Mathis is the the mutual friend I'm talking about. And we'll talk a bit more about your involvement with him and, and Octopress and that kind of stuff. But one of the things he wanted me to ask, but I think we've already answered this to some degree, so feel free to uh, riff as needed. But he said, you know, par- <laughs> this is verbatim what he said. Parker came out of nowhere and impressed Tom and I both enough to become significant parts of both of our projects, Jekyll and Otter Press, as the projects, uh, getting to talk about how. So I think you've kind of answered that, but is there anything of the how that he's talking about that maybe you didn't leak?
1: So the... <laughs> That's that's a great question. The the way that I got involved with Jekyll is that I emailed Tom. Tom was this is this was at the time the CEO of GitHub. Um, someone that I didn't think I was actually going to be in contact with ever. Uh, he was not replying to issues, um, but I emailed him and I emailed him three times um, over the course of like eight eight or nine months. Um, and finally in December he replied. So I think the key is to um, sort of take that leap of faith as well as and I I got in contact with with Brandon because I was following him because I loved Octopress and I was using Octopress for my blog. Um, so I was following him and I was like, Hey, do you need any help with Octopress? I tweeted at him and he was like, yeah, I would love some help with Octopress. And then we just sort of kept going with that. Um, and, uh, so, so it's, you know, reach out if you're interested is sort of the key. Um, I think that the main bottleneck for finding, a uh, added maintainers is the, is to see their interest. Um, are you interested in, in devoting the time to, to maintain something, uh, and to make it better, um, in, in a more meaningful way than just submitting a pull request here and there. Um, so I'd say persistence and just make that, make that initial step.
0: Okay. So maybe dovetailing off of that, then his second part of that question was, uh, and I had the same question. So it's just kind of from both myself and Brandon, um, And we'll talk, you know, for those listening and thinking, what the heck is Octopress? We'll talk about that here in just a second. But uh, the second <laughs> part of that question, uh, a series of questions is, do you have any, and I think you kind of touched a little bit just now on this, but do you have any advice for those out there who uh, are, you know, similar to you, you know, interested in, interested in technology, but want to get started with open source software and don't really know where to start or really how to break through, I suppose?
1: I think the the main barrier to entry is to know how, how to contribute, right? So from, from my perspective, go, go to the project that you're using the most. Maybe you're using Rails. Um, Rails is a very intimidating project to first start off with. Um, Maybe go to Jekyll, go to Jekyll, find an issue that you care about um, and find, find an issue that you care about or that you think might be a relatively quick fix. Um, Even if you don't know the code, doesn't matter whether you've looked at the code or not. See that. Then, then, clone down the repo and look through the code a little bit. Try to familiarize yourself with how this particular product um, does what it does um, once you 've done that um, then then try to pinpoint exactly where the issue is happening um, and or at least where the issue might be might be occurring. Um, change that submit your pull request um, as best as possible add tests you know do sort of do do your dues as it were or um, and in order to see that that would be merged, um, and submit an issue, um, or submit a pull request for that. Um, if that's sometimes even that is too much, um, you know, to, to pick an issue that you might be able to to handle and, and, um, change it up or, and, you know, fix it. So maybe what you should do instead is find an issue that you're, that you think might be, um, easy enough to do, look through the code a little bit, um, and just write a comment and say like, Hey, um, I'm interested. You know, I'd love to help fix this. Um, I'm not really sure where to start. Um, maybe here, here, or here, um, and sort of, sort of indicate that you're thinking about it and that you'd love to help. Um, I'm. I can. I write way more comments that I than I, you know, than commits that I write. Um, so I'm happy to to help someone through through that process. Um, I love. I love to see newcomers to Jekyll. It's the best thing in the world um, to see people who have never. Um, submitted a pull request, or who made their GitHub profile yesterday to only to <laughs> read an issue or nice. to submit a pull request. So for people to you know find find that repository that or that project that you're interested in, find an issue that you think you might be able to handle, write a comment or just fix it um, and submit a pull request. If the pull request isn't the way that they want that they want to handle it, um, the maintainers will say this isn't really how we want to handle it, but here's how we would prefer, um, and then you can implement that um, switch and switch things around. So. Um it's, it's more a matter of, like, just throwing yourself into the process and, and at every turn offering your help and the time.
0: Let's pause the show for just a minute and give a shout out to our sponsor, TopTal. Now, we've been working with TopTal for about a year now, almost a year now, and we thought it would make sense to circle back and talk to some of our listeners who have applied to TopTal. And have been accepted because only about 2 to 3% of the engineers who apply make it past their strict elite engineering process. And Daniel Lazon, a longtime listener and fan of the changelog, um, is now living the dream. He's an elite engineer at TopTow. And I say living the dream because he's now able to have 100% control of the types of projects and technologies he's working on. As well as the rate he wants to charge. Daniel earns 100% of his income as a TopTal engineer, and he wanted me to pass on his seal of approval of the TopTal experience. For those of you out there who are freelancing or would like to test out freelancing, you've got to check out TopTal. If you think you have what it takes, head to toptalcom slash developers. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com slash developers to get started. Tell them the changelog sent you. I know a lot of the times when folks come on the show, when we ask them, which we'll ask you here in a bit, like the call to arms is usually just help us triage issues, especially a lot of high traffic projects with issues that, you know, have just lots. It's, you know, sometimes it's just, can you comment back to somebody? Can you just help me, (laughs) you know, keep the heartbeat alive so that they don't think we're a bunch of jerks because we're busy writing code (laughs) or busy with day jobs. And this is like you in your spare time or your free time. So you say, you know, so it's like. It's kind of like that. And then even I like what you said too about um not just saying hey how can I help? It's I've got an idea about this particular problem. I've got a couple ideas on how I can solve it or what I think might work. Can you give me some guidance? Cuz right. they'll respond easier to to at least you know some legwork versus just hey, I'm here to help. What can I do? Right. <laughs> Pick up right. a broom, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So let's um let's talk um Let's talk about uh, your involvement, not only with Jekyll, but then Octopress. This is like, uh, we've gotten through this pretty much, you know, this whole show without really mentioning the relationship between these two, and I don't want to do it any ill justice because I haven't kind of riffed with Brandon much lately about the project and where it's going, but I know you're involved mm-hmm. in both now. Can you kind of give a, you know the listeners kind of a mention of how these two projects align and, and where you see them fitting?
1: So Octopress at the moment um, in its current form in imathis slash Octopress is sort of a framework around Jekyll, um, a series of rake tasks usually. Uh, generally um, that makes it easier to work with Jekyll. Um, it comes with a built-in um, classic theme that allows you to, you just go rake install and it installs this theme, which is beautiful. Um, I'm sure you've seen it on a, on a lot of sites. Um, and it's the idea of, of Octopress is really to make it as easy as possible to get started blogging with Jekyll. Um, when you run gem install Jekyll, you have nothing available to you. Um, you have at now, um, since 1.0, I think, or maybe 1.2, um, you have Jekyll new, and Jekyll new, and then you give it a path will install some you know very basic, very very run of the mill um, or you know bare bones skeleton sort of site. Um, but if you're if you're looking for like if you're some Erlang programmer or something and you just you don't have the time to set up a UI, you don't want to write any HTML, you just want to write, what, like write a blog post about something, um, then all that you have to do is clone down the repo, run rake install, run rake new posts, and then give it a title, and then boom, you're off. Um, and it's the coolest thing. Um, it handles new posts, new pages, deployments, um, previewing, generation, all of that stuff. Um, one of the key points as well is that it, it has this one, one task called rake isolate. And one of the, the points that you mentioned earlier about Jekyll, um, is, or I guess that we talked about at, at uh, briefly, um, was this idea of incremental regeneration right now, Jekyll just says, I'm going to, when you run Jekyll generate or uh, Jekyll build rather, it just takes your whole site and rebuilds it. Um, and that's not that efficient, um, especially if it's the same in 98% of the files. Mm-hmm. So um, if you have a massive site, maybe of like 1,200 posts or something, you've been writing for a long time. Um, I know Matt Gemmel uses Octopress and he has, you know, I think close to a thousand posts or he did, you know, a couple of months ago. Um, I'm sure he has over a thousand posts now. Um, he's a great writer, but it just took so long for those posts, for that site to regenerate that he said, you know, I can't do this. So um, Octopress gives him the tool called Rake Isolate, which gets rid of all the posts except for the one that he's working on and bas- just regenerates that one, um, the entire site, but just with that one post. So it removes the 999 other posts that he doesn't need to be looking at because he's not working on it right now. Um, and then you, um, you run rake integrate and it puts all the posts back and then you run rake gen deploy and he deploys a whole new thing once it's, once it's done. So, so is that
0: so, using git magic to do that or is that, how's that working?
1: Rake isolate um, basically just takes, takes all the posts except for the one that you're working on, moves it into a separate directory um, that Jekyll won't look at and then runs Jekyll build or wow. Jekyll serve, depending on what you're doing. So it all that it does is is it just moves the files um, and then moves How it back novel. when you run integrate. <laughs> right, right. It's 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 an amazing idea, um, and it's such it's so so you know dead simple that it's surprising that that no one else has done it. But that's sort of a unique piece to, to Octopress. So Octopress is sort of this framework that makes blogging with Jekyll or, or writing sites with Jekyll as easy as possible and gives you the, the UI or the, uh, the site um, uh, theme and all of this stuff to work with immediately. Did the projects, so it's,
0: it's almost um, even still now, even after hearing that it's still hard to really see where they, you know, where they separate. I understand that it's kind of built on top of Jekyll, but is it a point that they'll ever merge, they'll ever share the same functionality or essentially tackle the same kinds of problems? Or is that the reason why you're involved in both projects to kind of help keep them in parallel and keep them kind of working together well?
1: I'm definitely, I'm definitely involved with both, um, in order to make sure that they're going along parallel in, in parallel. Um, I'm way more involved in Jekyll just because Jekyll has no, I mean, Matt's working on it as well, but Matt's, um, Matt's really busy. So, um, I'm the one that's sort of taking care of, of the immediate day-to-day sort of stuff with Jekyll. Um, and because no one else is doing that, I'm sort of taking more of a backseat or more of an advisory role, I guess. Um, I look over pull requests that, that Brandon puts up on Octopress repos, um, and helping with problems as needed. Um, but in terms of uh, the future, there's definitely the possibility that they would merge. Um, the Octopress as we know it today would not be the Octopress of tomorrow in, in any sense. Um, Brandon's doing amazing work, um, on the Octopress organization on GitHub. And you can take a look at, um, where he's taking Octopress and splitting it off into a gem and this gem is just about functionality. It's just about a sort of extending the basic Jekyll generation stuff into um, generating new posts based on like ERB templates, that sort of thing. Um, and he also created something which I'm really excited about called Octopress Inc. Um, and Octopress Inc. is is an extension to Jekyll that allows you to th- to write th- isolated themes. So I have a gem, for example, called I don't know Parker's site or Parker's theme or something, and I can publish that on Ruby Gems. And you can say gem install Parker's site or Parker's theme or whatever, and use and it uses Octopress Inc. Such that when Jekyll says, "All right, I'm going to go build this site," um, it uses the CSS, the JavaScript that I've written, um, and it's it's all separate from my own content files. So. What Octopress Inc. has done is basically taken the concept of WordPress themes um, where the theme and the content are completely separate um, and applied that to, to static site generation as Jekyll knows it. So I'm sort of I'm sort of there to to make sure that everything's going along at the same time and to help with like the Jekyll 2.0 major bump, for example. That's
0: a fantastic teaser for an upcoming conversation. I'm sure we'll have with Brandon. I know that uh, <laughs> I mean, anytime we ever mention, and I try to get Brandon to to share as much as he can, but I know he's it's he's been so close to 3.0 for a while now, and I know that a lot of the listeners and a lot of the readers of our weekly email and and the blog. And anytime we publish any sort of teaser of the upcoming Octopress 3.0, mm-hmm. they're always like all over it. You know, everybody's like waiting with bated right. breath, kind of, so to speak. So I'm <laughs> sure that that was a perfect teaser for to tee it up for Brandon when he comes on the on the show. Um, yeah, I guess let, let's go ahead and, and tail off the call. Then I know there's probably, I know you got things you got to do, and we could talk probably for days, but because you do a lot of cool stuff, but let's, let's, um, Let's talk about the future of, of Jekyll. Let's tail into that, and I think you kind of know where I'm going with it, but where is Jekyll going? How does it align with GitHub Pages? How does it align with GitHub, uh, GitHub Pages API? What can you tell us about uh, not just Jekyll 2.0, which came out early this month, but the, the future and beyond?
1: That's a really awesome question. Um, the future of Jekyll is is the simplest, but also simultaneously most powerful static site generator that you can find um, for for anyone, um, isolating isolating it from um, the expectation that you must know Ruby is is paramount to that objective. Um, the Jekyll of tomorrow is a Jekyll that is is easy to install, um, is really easy to use, um, doesn't hopefully has as few bugs as possible, if none, or if not none rather, um, and and does the really amazing things like incremental regeneration and has themes, um, the way that Octopress Inc, ha- octopus Inc, um, displays them. Um, and in order to get there, we just need a lot more manpower. Um, we just need people who are interested in, in taking a stake in Jekyll and saying, this is a really cool project. Um, let's make it what I want it to be. Um, and when they hit a pain point to say, yeah, I could write a plugin for this that monkey patches Jekyll to the you know how I want it, but why don't I take that change and contribute it upstream and see if they're interested? Um, and to to sort of have that constant conversation with how am I using Jekyll and how is Jekyll right now? Um, is sort of what's gonna what's gonna push Jekyll forward. That
0: might, uh, that might lead us right into the call to arms, I guess for, for Jekyll. Cause one of the things we ask on this show is some, some decent questions at the end. It's our common questions, I guess. Um, but we always ask, you know, what's the call to arms? How can the community step up and help out? So maybe you kind of mentioned it, but maybe you can kind of go a little deeper.
1: Yeah. So the, the way that we would love for you to get involved is, is to be involved in, in the conversation, the issues, there's an IRC channel, um, Jekyll, there is um, there's so much available. Um, there's also a Jekyll help repo. Um, so if you're if you're if you find that you have an extra even 10 minutes a day to watch that repo and um, answer questions to help with the ecosystem or the the users who are are struggling with this or you know hey I installed Jekyll but I can't seem to get this to work can you help me yeah sure let me just take a quick look at your repo most Jekyll problems are diagnosable you know, in five minutes, um, unless it's some crazy issue with, you know, your gem environment or something. So um, to be, to be involved and to do what you can to um, either contribute code um, or contribute ideas, just open an issue that's like, Hey, this is a really cool idea that I had when I was just writing my site. What do you think about it? Um, And then we can discuss it Um, to, you know, involve your friends. Maybe Uh, if you have a, if you have a pal who's also using Jekyll or a colleague to have them you know, get a GitHub profile if they don't already, and contribute their ideas um, to be part of the conversation. Um, there's obviously no way that you're go- you're going to be involved if you aren't a part if you aren't a part of it. But um, it's relatively easy to just watch the repo. I promise, like maybe 12 to 15 notifications a day. I try to stay <laughs> uh, busy, but but not too overwhelming. Um, so you know, just sort of contribute where you want to, where you can. Um, of course, triaging issues is super helpful, but I handle every issue that comes through. Um, I know so you're pretty active. Pretty on that. I was always,
0: when I was just kind of prepping for this conversation, I was like, <laughs> like, wow, you are on, on the ball, you know, and not just like, Hey, Thanks you know, like uh, maybe a text expander or something like that, or some sort of, you know, snippet that you kind of put in. Every, it's like, you know, you really look and you requote and you ask for clarification you kind of give more feedback. You're, you know, I, I really wonder when you say, you know, you do this in your free time, like you must have a lot of free time. So um, are you really going to school? Or are you two people? That kind of thing.
1: <laughs> I've definitely slacked off on my, on my classwork enough uh, to, to make sure that that the amount of time that I have on GitHub is substantial. So, I will uh, apologize to my professors on behalf of my time on Jekyll, um, but that I mean it's taken a long time to, to get there. But um, I find that if you if you're kind and if you're if you're you give constructive feedback, then people will be kind in return. And that's there's so much animosity in the open source open source uh, community that to yell at people is not useful. Yeah. Um, and it's it's sort of counterproductive to the idea of let's build something awesome together.
0: We've we've talked about that a little bit on the on the show before, just kind of like the not so nice responses from people and just the attitudes. Because it, I mean, we talked about burnout on the show before uh, with Lee Hambley mm-hmm. and Capistrano and some other projects that have come on and, and people who uh, lead those projects have expressed just burnout, and you can't always uh, help your attitude sometimes, you know, let's maybe talk to you in, in two years and see if you feel the same way. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it does, it does happen. Um, regarding the future of Jekyll, there's one question I, I do have as a dovetail off of what you said before. You said, um, you know, you need more people, you need more manpower, so to say. Um, how does that, how does that plan to get That's what I keep coming back to because it's obviously a part of pages, they obviously have the money to employ people. Uh, are they a part of these conversations to make sure that Jekyll thrives and Jekyll grows and Jekyll's awesome?
1: They aren't as much, I will say. Um, they're at the moment it's sort of a, uh, a in maintenance mode. Pages is I'm I'm certainly building new features um, and making it you know as, as great as I can. Um, but there's they aren't building as many new features into into Pages certainly. Um, and what they, what they primarily want is to see pages be something, something that makes, you know, documentation really, really great software documentation. So if I, if I'm bootstrap, how can we make sure that Jekyll and that pages are well-suited to your, um, to your needs for that particular project? So to make sure that, that Jekyll is as general as possible is sort of what, um, and not too complicated, of course, um, is sort of what Ben's been doing as a part of, sort of as an acting entity of, of GitHub, and also in his own, his own uh, wishes. He'd like to see something that's simple and easy to use, rather than something that's super complicated um, or super specific. So they aren't they aren't that heavily in, uh, involved in, in Jekyll, um, but they've certainly v- supported me in huge ways. Um, whether it's just like random boxes of goodies, um, or you know hey, um, we want this feature added to to Jekyll. Can you write it for us? We'll pay you. Well, um, I guess the last question
0: is a, is a fun one that uh, I think you may have touched on at least one hero, right? Uh, but who mm-hmm. are your, you, know, you can name one, you can name a few. It, it's We don't really have any sort of rules here, but uh, if you had to name some programming heroes, who would they be?
1: Um, I definitely have a bunch. Um, and they've, I, I'm, I tend to take to heroes pretty quickly, um, because there's someone that I can look up to and, and it sort of gives me a goal, um, to set. So, um, starting off in, in middle school when I was learning basic, um, the guy's name was Dan LaVoy, um, later. It was Nick Rao, um, who now works at ModCloth as a software engineer. Um, really brilliant guy. Who, he was the one who originally taught me how to use Rails um, and got me interested in Ruby. So he's the reason that I I know Ruby at all. Um, Leif Walsh was a um, an acquaintance in in high school who is just ridiculously brilliant. Um, he got a joint degree at Stony Brook, SUNY Stony Brook, um, in like theoretical mathematics and computer science. Um, and then, of course, there are the you know. They're the, I guess, more general or more normal uh, answers of uh, people like Tom um, and Chris Wanstroth who wrote, um, and PJ, who wrote GitHub initially and just sort of wrote it in their spare time. Um, people like Ben, who are amazing product people, but also, or sort of um, product managers and can can develop vision um, in addition to writing amazing code. Um, and so, and, and people from my time at Sex Wunderkinder as well, um, um, Hans Hasselberg, who um, uh, Ryan Levick, um, uh, Jus or Joseph Bach, um, who's a great guy and Chad Fowler as well. Um, they're all like just amazing people that I've, I have looked up to, um, and have tried to try to be more like, yeah.
0: Several uh, in there, I, I definitely share similar remarks, but uh, this has um, this has been, well, I guess, probably one of our longer shows in the last several shows. I think <laughs> we just kind of got on some riffs there, and I want to pull you off, and I'm glad that you were uh, such a good trooper for the show, Parker. So um, <laughs> Thanks so much for I, having and, me. I know we, we wanted to get you on the show for a while, and I'm just you know very excited about what you're doing, so keep up the great work. Um, However, we can be of uh, support to you and to help uh, to help you and Matt kind of keep this project, uh, you know, at the forefront and just knowing that it is the the next generation and the the way to be when it comes to uh, static site generation and the future of it. And, you know, Octopress, we hope to have brain on the show in the near future about that. So I I want to just, you know, you got our support, however, however we can give it. So um, great. Thank you so much. Uh, Same to you. As we uh, to close out the show, I want to give another shout out to our awesome sponsors, Rackspace, uh, SnapCI, and TopTow uh, for supporting the show. They do an awesome job to help make sure we stay around as part of just helping uh, Parker do his awesome work and help him stay around. So, uh, mm-hmm. I also want to plug our new partner too, DivShot, uh, who's helping pave the way for really awesome static web hosting for developers. Uh, and they're hosting Jekyll too. So we'll, we'll give you more information about that for the members. And if you're not a member yet, you should check it out. But uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. And until then, uh, Parker and I will say goodbye. So bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.